Hi, and welcome to Dietless Living 360 Degrees, Overcoming Weight Loss Obstacles with me, your host, Katie Gordon. As a weight loss coach, I help my clients overcome their weight loss obstacles in six simple steps so that they can lose weight their way and lose it for life. But the old saying that it takes a village to raise a child also applies to achieving our weight loss and health goals because the obstacles that we face in life aren't always in our health. Sometimes they're in other areas of our life. And we often have challenges and obstacles in our relationships, in work, in business, in our finances, in our home or families. And sometimes we have obstacles just such as injuries or other more complex health issues. And whilst how to overcome weight loss obstacles in six simple steps actually helps you to understand what's happening and be able to enjoy healthy habits while you're overcoming those challenges, we also need other professionals to help resolve those obstacles. So with that in mind, Dietless Living 360 Degrees brings in other professionals to help you overcome those obstacles. And today we have Pete Schonbeck who is the founder of Production Business Advice with a strong family history in the clothing industry. Pete's history goes all the way back to his great-great-grandfather and Pete's an internationally experienced merchant. Pete's worked in retail and wholesale for internationally recognised brands such as Levi Strauss, Timberland, Tommy Hilfiger, Barbour and Elise. Hope I got that right, Pete. <laughs> He started out as a trainee buyer for an European clothing wholesaler where he was mentored by the managing director and his father, John, in all aspects of design, product development, sampling, sourcing, buying, brand franchises and major account selling. This led to an opportunity of travelling the world extensively around Europe, the Far East and the United States, providing him with a very rich understanding of different cultures and the way of doing business in, on an international stage. He lived and worked in Germany for a while before returning to the UK where he set up a design fashion store business with a very good friend of his in Clapham, South London, whilst continuing his role with the international brands and living abroad for many, many years. Pete then began working on small consulting projects, which is what actually led him to become a creative industry-focused business advisor as part of a London-based business advisory team. Pete provides experienced business insights and an entrepreneurial approach to developing business strategy. He works both with uh, new and established businesses, including, but not limited to, fashion creatives, artists, service industry professionals and a multitude of online and offline businesses in the food and beverage industry, tech, furniture, beauty, travel, sports and the well-being sectors. Pete does it all. From the fundamentals of assisting in the process of setting up a business by developing business plans, financial projections, product management strategies and gaining ex... <laughs> God, it's long, and gaining access to <laughs> and gaining access to business funding. Not forgetting the all-important market research. P 
Pete's company, Production Business Advice, can help you break down the possible barriers to marketplace that you're targeting. Pete has an engaging approach to consulting and loves to inject humour and real-life anecdotes into his consulting to anchor the points he uses to reinforce understanding and enable his clients to achieve their goals. So welcome to the show, Pete. Thank you so well much. Well done. <laughs> Thank you. That's a marathon bio. I love it. It is. I'm going to edit my bio. <laughs> but it tells such a great story because you've done so much. And I feel like this is um, not even a needed question, but I actually still want to ask you, can you tell us a, a little bit about what it is that you do and the main way that you help your clients? Sure, sure. Well, I've, thanks for the intro. <laughs> um, I've been doing what I do now for about 10 years as a business advisor, mentor, coach. Um, and basically, I take people on their hand to hold. Um, I kind of take them through anything, first of all, from their point of view, all around their life, you know, how our business uh, works within their lifestyle. Um, and then from understanding that, we put together some ideas around how they can develop their business or optimize their business further um, to work with them. It's that classic work-life balance thing. Yep. Um, but I tend to do it with all types of people. So from university students right the way through to CEOs, CFOs. Um, so I talk to all of those sorts of people, but each one I talk to benefits the other because if you think about it, a student's got a fresh approach to the world um, who's a CEO or CFO of a company who's lost touch. Um, but obviously the people who are at the top of their game have a lot um, to have to pass on. And um, that's something I like to do as well, pass on experience. So you stop people making the mistakes that we've made, um, which helps a lot, saves them quite a lot of time and money. And you're right, right? You do have both of the pers uh, perspectives there, both on the spectrum, because it is the young ones with the fresh ideas and they're seeing things through new eyes. And totally. when we've been in business for ages, and I haven't been in business that long, but I'm looking at it from my point of view of weight loss. You know, I've been in the weight loss and wellness and nutrition world. And then I hang out with people who, you know, I'm thinking at this level, but then I hang out with people who are at the other end of the spectrum and I'm going, oh, right, you guys don't know that part of something. And so your CEOs would be the same. They'd be like, well, okay, you might have a fresh perspective, but you don't know this, this and this. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And you've, you've said things to me in the past, Katie, that have been eye-opening for me because you you need to see it for, uh, for, through someone else's eyes. Yes. And that's something I think that's really key with anyone that gives anyone any advice. You kind of understand what they know and, more importantly, what they don't, and you kind of add to it. Yeah. I think that's something that you can certainly do with what you do. Well, what you do I, do. Well, thank you. <laughs> And you know what I actually really like about what you do is uh, what we were just talking about a little earlier before we started the show is that um, getting somebody who's new in business, such as myself, although I've been here for a few years now, I have no particular business knowledge, and it's getting newbies, so you've got the new university students who got all the knowledge about how to do fashion, and everything they need for that, but how to create a business and how to actually build them out 
a blueprint from where they yeah. are at, at dot nothing to creating a business where they may eventually get to be that CEO. Yeah, absolutely. And that's the thing. Uh, like I said before, the, the things that you can avoid for them um, from your own life experience is a great attribute to pass on. Yes. Well, Pete, the, one of the big questions that I like to ask all my guests is about the hardships that they have in life. And you've had a big life. You've travelled around. You've done a lot in your business. Um, but we all have to face hardships. You know, we're human beings. This stuff goes on in our life and it's not always pleasant and it's not always things that we've chosen. So yeah. is there something you could share with us, one of the, your greater hardships in life, uh, and how, how was it that you actually overcame it? Uh, like what strategies did you use or how did you build your resilience so that you were able to overcome it and keep moving forward? Well, it's a great question, and, and we've all got our things to look back on. I guess mine, if I was going to target one thing, it would be um, or having been diabetic type 1 all my life, well, since the age of 10. So um, contrary to how young I look, uh, that's quite a long time ago. And you did, uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. 43 years ago, to be exact. So um, when I was diagnosed with that, um, I was already already a very sporty kid um, and took part in all the major sports from football or soccer to cricket to rugby, um, skiing, big fan of skiing. Um, and all of those had were impacted by my diabetes to start off with, um, having hypoglycemic attacks while playing football or any other sports that I played and having to get used to measuring my food, taking insulin. And at the first stages, it was injections, regular mm -hmm. injections, but then having to monitor your food. Um, and it's something that's progressed through life. Even now in my older years, it's still, you still have to move and change with your lifestyle and more importantly, your metabolism. So um, I found it, I've always made light of it. So you say about how, you asked how I kind of de dealt with it or deal with it. And I always used to make jokes, uh, even even like, whose round is it? Well, it's not mine. Why not? Because I say, well, I'm diabetic. I can't get it. Um, or I'd say, well, um, can't go. I can't, can't pay for this. Can't pay for that because I'm diabetic. I've got a lot of things to think about. I can't concentrate on money. <laughs> um, Any excuse, really? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But it, you know, it was always taken as a, as a joke. It wasn't a real excuse. Yeah. Um, and I used to shoot up through my trousers and people would go, so how do you, how do you do that? Uh, how do you, so when you're about to eat, what do you do? And I just take out this pen thing and whack it in my leg and go just like that. And then I'd give a sigh, like it was, ah, oh, that feels so good. <laughs> so I used to make a joke of it, but there, there were times when, um, I'd have serious attacks and, uh, I don't know if you're aware of how bad a, a diabetic hypoglycemic attack, no. be, but it's very similar to having a fit. So if you were to have an epileptic fit, it's the same kind of reaction. Okay. Um, and often, people who have had epileptic fits. Yeah, yeah. It's not a nice thing. I mean, always make the joke of, you know, I never see it. I, you know, I don't know what's going on. I just, I just, I wake up in a hospital bed yeah. and I've bitten through my tongue or I've got bruises and bumps all over me. 
yeah. and then someone's there telling me I've had a fit. Um, and it's like, wow. But um, they're few and far between. And it's another thing of, as I was saying earlier, about dealing with things and managing the potential problems you might come across. And eventually you just get savvy to it. Yeah. Uh, and my father, who's got uh, cancer, has, from his treatment, developed type 1 diabetes oh. um, as a side effect. But it's, I mean, the treatment he's had is phenomenal. It's immunotherapy, so there's no chemo or anything like that. But that treatment got, had a side effect to make him type 1 diabetic. But, of course, his son, by the time he got it, it was 50 years or 40 years of diabetic. So I was able to help him out in dealing with it. And he's brilliantly controlled. Um, and it even, you know, in his... Yeah, late seventies, but he's 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 very. My dad's a very diligent kind of bloke. Yeah. Um, but he he's dealt with that. So it's one of those things with the whole journey. I had challenges thinking like, well, will I? Is it worth me settling down? Because what if I want to have kids? And doctors would say, well, maybe you won't be able to have kids. No right. And I, thought, Whoa. And I was like, why is that then? And diabetes, it can happen. Guys could just lose the ability yep. to have kids. Um, didn't happen. Hasn't happened yet. But I'm probably too, I'm over the hill now. But um, even that thought would make you think, well, what if I met someone I really liked and they wanted to have kids? So it kind of made me a little bit sensitive to that situation. But then the other excuse I've got is I travelled around the world. Yeah. So it was kind of like, well, I couldn't hold down a relationship even if I tried. <laughs> Not unless they wanted to uh, travel with you. <laughs> yeah, well, that's, that's it. it. But it was in, in certain cases, I'd be out of the country for four months of a year. Yeah. On and off planes. Um, and yeah, had plenty of girlfriends, but just very difficult to manage. But the diabetes was the underlining thing, because even when I was flying around the world, um, obviously with time difference, et cetera, you had to change your regime and I'd be flying halfway to Hong Kong and I'd reset my watch, get on a different day and then have to start eating and taking my insulin according to the, the new time zone I was going into. Right. I hadn't thought about that. So yeah. how much of a um, juggling act was that for you? It, it, it was just one of those things you had to get used to. And no one, my diabetic specialists along the way wouldn't tell me that. You just think about it logically and go, well, when do I change my watch? You know, you obviously yeah. don't change it as soon as you take off. You're kind of halfway through the flight. Yeah. You know, when they're delivering breakfast, well, that actually they do it for you, really. The airlines do oh, you know, the yeah. way they the regulate way you, you, don't they? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, a lot of understanding that sort of thing is self tuition, really. But um, it there were examples when I'd be overseas and I'd have a an attack. Um, had it once in San Francisco, woke up in a casualty unit there. Um, but Levi Strauss at the time were brilliant. Just I was back back in the hotel that evening. So um, and then back to work the next morning, <laughs> which is a bit weird. But no time off for you. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, I, I, so if you ask me what, what was the biggest challenge, I'd say it was that, but I always made light of it. Yeah. So it's only a question like you've asked that would bring it out. So good question. So what was it like as a kid, though? I mean, we all want to fit in when we're kids and suddenly you, you're a bit different now. You've gone from being Pete, who's already, you know, playing all the sport and joining in with all the boys to 
might have to modify things and get used to stuff. Yeah. What's that like? Well, coaches, I mean, all my coaches in every sport I played, you know, first of all, my mum was my brick. She, she would... Yeah. She would be on the sideline or she'd brief the coaches about, right, here's a, here's a, we have a thing called ginger nuts. I don't know if you've got them in Oz, yeah. but yeah. just ginger nuts, yeah. And um, she'd come along with those. And each ginger nut contained 10 grams of carbohydrate. Yeah. So at half time, when the oranges were coming out or something in a rugby or football game, I'd have an orange and then I'd have three ginger nuts for the second half. And each of the coaches knew how to do, to do that. And eventually there would be times where my coaches actually can recognize that I was starting to go into a hypoglycemic attack. Yeah. And in rugby, they used to call me shaky <laughs> because I'll when shake. I used to go into, the, I'd be on the pitch, like playing rugby and stuff, <laughs> shaking. And so I'd be quickly taken off, shove some, dodge, um, some ginger nuts in his mouth and get him back on. Um, but that's how I think people around you and even the kids around me then got to know about diabetes. Yes. In a way, it was an education as well. But yeah, just assimilation, I guess, you know, just getting used to it. And how's it gone for you now? Like you said, it's 43 years later. So are you have you smoothed out all the edges of that or do you still get caught by surprise with it? Every once in a while I get caught out, but I'm on a system now. Technology in the treatment of diabetes is just is constantly evolving brilliantly. Yeah. Um, when I started off, we still had glass syringes, only just. Um, but now I'm on an insulin pump uh, and a blood testing system that's all integrated into my phone. So yeah. it tells me 20 minutes in advance of going too low that I'm going to have a hypo. All right. So I get 20 minutes notice, which is usually about what you need to get sugar into your system before yeah. it's too late. So the technology is caught up and is, is great. So in terms of management, um, it's okay. But when you're working with tech, you've still got a, the tech's only as good as what you put in it. Yeah. So you can still get caught out. I play, I mean, we'll probably talk about this later, but I play golf and I love playing golf with my mates and going out. But um, there are times when, and we'll also get onto this part of it, weight loss. Yeah. When you're conscious of, trying to lose weight and exercise is a great one for that, obviously. Um, but if my blood sugar goes too low, I have to shove a Mars bar or a Snickers in my mouth, yeah. which great brings me right, solves the problem, but it's also piled a whole load of calories into me. Sort of contradictory to what you're trying to achieve with, ex with exactly. exercise. Yeah. Exactly that. Yeah. So it's, you know, but you get, you just got to acclimatize in more ways than one, you know? It's life, isn't it? We're just constantly adjusting and adjusting and adjusting, whether it's a lifelong um, disease or disability or just life in general, right? It's just a constant yeah. balancing act forevermore. Totally, totally that. Well, thank you for sharing all of that because it's so helpful for people because there are people out there who've got diabetes who can relate, who've got diabetes one. And there's a lot of people at the, um, who are becoming diabetes two, type two. Yeah. So it's, it's really helpful for people to understand that there are ways and I didn't know about the pump and the new technology and and all of that stuff so although I imagine if anyone's at the hospital they're being told all of that 
But it yeah. is really interesting to share that. And if anyone has children, you know, kids that have become type one diabetics, uh, or actually when I went to school, I went to a one teacher school. So it was a very tiny school for seven grades. Yeah. And we used to all start our, um, in, as you do in one teacher school, we used to all start our day with a cream bun and a bottle of milk. That was our parade. There was only about 10 of us uh. on parade. But one of the young lads became a, di a diabetic type one. And as a show of uh, support for him, we all stopped having our cream bun in the morning because he wasn't allowed to have his. Oh, so, brilliant. Yeah, it was a nice thing for us all to do and for me to learn, like for all of us at a young age to learn how to support each other. So if there's other yeah. people out there that are the same. So, and if, if, there, if there's anyone out there, by the way, hmm. who um, I know at the end of this will share my details, but this is nothing to do with my business. If there's anyone who's having challenges or their kids are finding it difficult, um, reach out. You know, it's one, it's, one, it's one of those things that I think is so important because another side of it is letting people know and don't be afraid to let people know um, because if something does go wrong, at least they understand why. Yeah. Um, Do you have to wear a bracelet or anything that says? I don't know. I have I have ID in, in my car, in my uh, in my wallet. Sorry. So yeah. know that, but really the the pump is quite a giveaway as well. Um, oh, yeah. So the best thing to do if, if you ever come across someone whether they're having a fit, an epileptic fit, or a diabetic fit, you probably wouldn't know. Is just get get an ambulance out asap. Cool. Thanks. But it's, for that. it's, it's, not, it's not a big deal. You can you can live with it. There's far more worse things to have, believe me, than diabetes. Yeah. You know, that's the and way you've to look at it. you've had a full life. Look at you. You've traveled around the world, living a great life in with your business and work and everything yeah. that you've achieved. It hasn't held you back at all, has it? Nope. So tell me, Pete, thank you for sharing about all of that. I also like to ask all my guests about what's the biggest risks or risk that you've ever taken and why did you take it? I guess, I guess moving abroad is always a risk, mm. um, but it's a great adventure as well. So I would say, well, there's two elements to this. So I've, I've moved abroad. I've lived in Europe. I've traveled a lot. So I've lived in Belgium. I've lived in Holland. I've lived in Germany, which is a challenge in itself with different languages. Um, but Do I you speak spoke French those and languages? I did. And when I lived in Germany and I lived in um, Belgium, um, I spoke French and German very well. Yeah. Um, since moving back, you, you, you go out of practice. But um, that in itself could be quite a challenge. Even your first visit to a supermarket in a foreign country that doesn't speak English yes. can be quite a challenge, particularly if you've got to ask for what's your alternative to this washing up liquid or whatever it is and try and explaining that. Yes. Um, that's a bit of a challenge, but moving abroad, it's, it's the opportunity. I always saw it as an opportunity because the brands I was moving abroad to work for, it made it really exciting. And it was like, well, I, I don't care. I'll, I'll make it work. Yeah. Um, the main thing is, is I'm, I'm going to have a great job. Um, but, but it was a little bit nervy because you think about, well, is it going to work? Am I going to settle in there? Um, what's it going to be like with the team I have? 
Do you What's have to give like? up all your home that you had in the UK? Did basically yeah, and that, you become homeless in the UK because you've moved to somewhere else? Well, I always rented it out. I always rented my home out, which was which was great. But it it, it was quite weird because every time you obviously move abroad, you get international movers. Yeah. So they come over, empty my house, and move it all to Holland or Germany or whatever it may be, and then I'd have to rent it unfurnished because I took my stuff with me. And you yeah. get people saying, well, uh, we're looking for a place that's furnished, really. Okay, okay. well, this isn't for you then. <laughs> um, <laughs> but then you'd always, always find people who were doing the same as I was doing, who were moving you know, into the yeah. UK or yeah. moving from one part of the UK to the other. So you'd always find someone. But that was, that was a bit of a worry at the same time. But at the end of the day, um, you know, it, the rent I got paid my mortgage for me while I was away. So it was a piece of cake, really. And how long did that, you move to those countries for? I was in Germany for three and a bit years. Mm-hmm. I was in Brussels for the same amount of time and Holland just for a year. Okay. But, Where about uh, in Germany were you? I was in the south. Excuse me. In the south, down near uh, Munich, uh, uh, in between Munich and a place called Erding, where they do a fantastic beer. Erding um, <coughs> a beer? Sorry? Yeah. Yeah, yeah my favourite beer. Really? Oh, there you go. Yeah, that's where it came from. So um, that was great for getting drunk, um, uh, but that was that was an interesting time. Story. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But the south of Germany and Austria, just um, great laugh. They have more of a sense of humour. <laughs> it's like the UK. Um, the further south you go in Germany, the warmer it gets. In the UK, the further north you go, the warmer it gets in terms of how people are. I found so, yeah. everybody in the UK to be warm and wonderful. That is so nice to hear. Maybe it's because you speak their language. Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> Maybe it's because I'm warm and wonderful. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. Sorry. Yeah, my bad. Yeah. <laughs> well, they were big. How old were you when you first moved abroad? When I first moved abroad, I would have been 29. Mm-hmm. Yeah, 29, I think, was Germany. Okay. Um, but we're kind yeah. of setting our ways by 29. There is a bit of a risk there, isn't there? Yeah, yeah, and there was a bit of a risk there. I had a, a reaction to insulin that they put me on in Germany that uh, caused me to un, uh, not recognise a hypo attack, and I was at the wheel of a car. Oh, wow. And I hit someone else. Luckily, thank God, didn't hurt them. But uh, it led to me being in hospital for six weeks and then getting put on the pump. So luckily, I got away with it and it made my life a bit better as well. So actually, I hadn't been thinking about the diabetes and moving to another country. Was that a big risk? Because you have to, you can't speak the language. You obviously do have to consult with doctors while you're there. Yeah, yeah. Well, the first thing I do whenever I move anywhere is exactly that. Find the local doctor. I mean, obviously, you go away with what you've, what you've left your country with. Yeah. Um, and then the priority is really to find a doctor, find out diabetes support. Um, you get in touch with your local hospital um, and you go and see them. And yeah, and in, in French speaking countries, you have to speak to them in French. Um, sometimes you get a doctor that speaks English, but you shouldn't expect that. Yeah. Same in Germany um, and in Holland. Well, it sounds really daft, but in Holland, you can just have a conversation with anyone that's in English if yes. you can't speak Dutch. You know, so um, 
but that's the first thing I do whenever I move abroad is, okay, you, you get the keys to your place and then it's right. Okay. While the movers are moving in, I'm going to find a doctor. And is the medication actually different? Or, or is, in or is those it days it was. it's all the same? In those days, there were different versions of, but did similar things. So you have fast-acting insulins, you have slow-acting insulins, you have hybrid insulins. When I was first diabetic, they took insulin from pigs and cows, and that's what you injected. And now they have what they call human insulin, which is uh, morphed from yeast. Right. They program yeast to produce insulin that is the same makeup as human insulin that you produce, for example, it's the same makeup. So that's what we inject now. So when you were using the different types, did you notice differences in your body? Not in my body so much, but that particular case, which I'd never been aware of when I was, I'd, I'd been working, I, I left the office. It was, it was probably about 11 o'clock at night. I had a really tight deadline that I had to get it done by. And I left the office thinking I was just tired because it was that time of night. Hmm. And tiredness can be the, one of the symptoms of you either being too high or too low. Yeah. Um, and I got in the car, drove off, came to a crossroads, just carried on going and just T-boned another car. Oh, wow. Yeah. So the ambulance picked me up, the police were involved. And it is a criminal offence um, if you have a hypo at the wheel of a car because you should test your blood before you drive. Right. So it was through a court case that it was kind of established that it wasn't entirely my fault because the symptoms of my... Uh, hypoglycemia had been affected by the insulin I was on um, and they said okay you give 150 Deutschmarks or 300 Deutschmarks to the German Diabetic Association you go into hospital for six weeks All right. so I said yeah okay great <laughs> getting off a bit easier than what perhaps might have happened otherwise exactly well guy if, if anyone had been you can imagine I, I don't think I would ever be able to live with myself yeah. if I hurt someone yeah um, so it was it was a relief from that point of view so it was quite risky for you to move overseas because there's a lot of things to think about. Yeah. More than the yeah, yeah. bear has to think about. Yeah, yeah. And, and I guess it when when you say it like that, if it was, you, you don't realise it. You know, you just take it, well, that's the way it is because yeah. I've had it since I was a kid. It'd be inter- more, more tricky, I'd imagine, if I got type 1 diabetes in my late 20s or 30s, and that can happen. Yes. You know, so you've already gone through your journey of growing up and stuff, and then that's thrown into the mix. It can be quite disorientating, and some people rebel badly against it Yeah, and just won't accept it. Thinking about all our hardships of life, and it seems like I like to harp on about them, but the reality is we all have so many hardships and we often feel very alone in those hardships because we all think, God, this is only happening to me. But then there's hardships that we voluntarily choose to put ourselves through, not for any other reason than perhaps we need to make a change or there's an experience that we want to try. Some people I know have climbed Everest or, you know, done base camp and, They've talked about, you know, the moment of making the decision, didn't realise how challenging it was going to be. So is there any hardships that you've gone through or great obstacles or challenges that you've voluntarily put yourself through? I don't know how serious to make it. I can give you an example of going to a boot camp. So um, a good friend of mine. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
and it was time for me to sort of get fit or, or make an effort to get fitter than I was. Yeah. And a friend said, look, I'm going to pay for you to come with me to this boot camp in Norfolk, which is Eastern England. Um, and we went and it was a resident course. So we were there for a week, all food controlled in terms of nutrition, etc. cetera. Um, and we were up at six in the morning and finished at six at night and it was full on. Um, and the goal was to lose weight and get fitter. Yeah. But I hadn't planned for the effect on my, uh, I keep bringing diabetes into it. It's amazing, isn't it? How it, when you talk about it, it does touch everything. But um, I would wake up in the morning, blood sugar through the floor. And I had to, um, they supplied me with bananas to bring my blood sugar up. Yeah. Now, yeah. <laughs> five bananas equals one Mars bar. I was going to say bananas Sorry. are a slow metabolizer, aren't they? Yeah, yeah. And there's that as well. But also it was like I was living on bananas just to keep my blood sugar up. And then like we'd go out in the morning for the first warm up session, which usually involved shuttle runs and stuff on the beach or press ups, sit ups, all of that with a stomach full of bananas, which uh, was a great way to start the day. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. But um, in terms of putting myself through it, uh, challenge it wasn't an easy thing to do in your 50s and oh, right. you did that in your 50s yeah yeah this is only about two years ago um or pre, just pre in between covid yeah so it was post one of the lockdowns i can't remember which okay um but yeah me and my friend i was 51 he was 53 54 um and we were the oldest guys by quite a long way I think the next did you show the young ones was, up? In some cases, we showed them that we had true grit. I don't know if we showed them up, <laughs> but um, you know, we went for it. Um, but it was great. I mean, it was great fun, great fun, but it was far more challenging than, I, than I'd anticipated. How did you, know, you end so, up at the end? Were you happy with good. it? Good. It was one of those ones where at the end of it felt amazing, felt like yeah. revolutionized. Um, but the weight hadn't come off. Um, I'd lost a few pounds, but it was the following two weeks where the, the weight really started coming off. All right. So it must have been yeah, after was, your metabolism and everything just kind of. Yeah, 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 yeah. And we kept on a food prep diet for two weeks afterwards as well. So we kept that going. Yeah. We weren't exercising as mad. And the other thing is, of course, the sort of work we were doing was putting on muscle mass. Yes. So when you talk about weight, and this is another tricky thing that people don't get, is, you know, uh, fat weight, muscle weight, all of that, how you metabolize stuff. It was, um, that was it. The guy said to me, we, we, we were weighed at the start, weighed at the end. And he said, well, you weight, so you, you lost a couple of pounds, but don't be worried because your fat has gone down quite considerably in that yeah. week. And your body shape has changed. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. So it, it was great from that point of view. But a challenge, yes, it was a challenge. Would you voluntarily um, do it again? Yeah, yeah, I would. I would. Yeah. I would. The only thing that holds me back is how much it costs. <laughs> <laughs> but um, but yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd definitely do it again because I'm one of these people who every now and then has to go, hold it, you've let yourself go too much. Yeah. You've got to do something about it. And I'm not afraid to go for it. Yeah. Um, yeah, but it's uh, now I've I've got to that age where golf is my saving grace. And how often do you play golf? Uh, now I'm probably playing two to three times a week. 
good. Um, particularly, yeah, particularly in the summer, you know, you can go out at 5.30. But if I have a gap between clients, I'll go out and have a few um, holes as well. So it, it's good. It's good. How do you go in the winter months over there with the golf? Dark, dim, wet. <laughs> do you still go out um, so and play, So it tends though? to be, sorry? Do you still go out and play, though? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. We we get we go out, but it's it's not it's more a chore than a pleasure. Um, yeah. And obviously, you have to get up earlier to to make the most of the light. Yeah. Um, but it's uh, well the way the climate's being messed up, and I know in Oz and here as well, you never really know what you're going to get these days. No, it's not predictable anymore. Like it, seriously, we're um, only a couple of weeks away from the beginning of winter here yeah and today this morning mostly because of all the rain that we've had recently the humidity was through the roof it was so hot and in fact i've got the air con on in the apartment now and the fan yeah yeah i mean to me um having traveled a bit i think heat i can take but when it's humid that is the killer yeah Dry heat is fine, but when it's humid, it just saps everything from you. Yeah. I, actually, um, I've only ever experienced dry heat once or twice, and I can't right. say I, I liked it. Having, I guess, I, I'm not a fan of the humidity, don't get me wrong, but I think <laughs> because I'm used to, you know, moisture on your skin. So being in a dry heat, I thought my face was going to crack off because it was just, <laughs> yeah. it was so dry. I was like, oh, my God, moisturiser, please. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, it's one of those ones. I mean, I took a girlfriend once to went to Dubai, and we were right by the sea. We went in August, and people think you're mad. Um, but we went there, and it was 48 degrees. We were right on the coast um, in a hotel pool. It was perfect yeah. because it was dry heat. And if you got too hot, you just dive in the pool. You know, it's one of those sort of holidays where it's just a total chill out holiday. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I've been in Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore, when the humidity's right through the roof. And it just, you, as soon as you get out of a cab with the aircon on, you walk into this thing and it hits you and you're just like. Everything goes sleep. limp, doesn't it? Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah There's yeah, no yeah. fashion in humidity, I'm afraid. No, absolutely not. Yeah. Women complain about their hair. Men complain about how sweaty they are. You know, it's, it's just yeah. a, it's, it's, it's not unpleasant it's not good look. in every regard. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> so tell me, Pete, what is it that you like to do for fun? Is it more than golf or is golf your fun? Well, golf now is. Um, and you combine that with social as well. You know, you always grab a few beers after a game. I just came back from uh, Ireland or Northern Ireland with some friends where we had a fantastic time in Belfast, playing golf, going out, partying, socialising, um, really good fun. And before that, fun used to be, I used to be obsessed with fashion. I mean, totally obsessed. Um, it was my hobby. It was my job. Well, it was the perfect mix. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I used to spend a large part of my money on going shopping. And girls loved it because they said, we've never, never found a guy who likes shopping so much. <laughs> you probably <laughs> like shopping more than them. That's it. That's it. And then the other one was um, I used to love ironing. And they'd really? say, why, why do you like ironing? Because, because I used to be in design and development, um, one of the best ways for me to research how something was made was to iron it. 
So I, so when it came to ironing day or the washing was done, I'd just stick MTV on the TV, get the ironing board out and press a few shirts, you know, look at a few pairs of jeans and give them a supple <laughs> iron. Uh, you know, but that was that was my kind of relaxation combined with product development. <laughs> it's your hot, well, you know you're in the right job, right? If you're doing it oh, in yeah. your spare time as well. So do you miss oh, the fashion industry? Massively, massively. But um, I'm kind of my ship has sailed really. Um, when I came back from Holland, which didn't work out for personal reasons, and a boss that was a bit uh, a senior vice president who micromanaged, which is never a good mix. I was a senior director there. And when I came back, I thought I'd just walk straight into another job when I got back to the UK. Yep. And that didn't happen, which is part of the reason why I became a, a business advisor. But um, yeah, that was that was uh, one of the tricky ones. Uh, and I forgot what your question was around that. Well, are you still with. in fashion? Like, and do you Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Sorry. Yeah, yeah. So in coming back, I thought, well, what I'll do is I'll give something back. And I became a business advisor for a social enterprise that needed fashion coaches. Right. So that's how it worked. Kept my, my hat in the ring, as it were, getting to see what was going on and helping new businesses start. Um, but the year that I put aside to do it turned out to be seven because I loved it so much. Um, but what I didn't realize while I was on the journey was that I was actually making myself less and less employable in the industry I liked because I was not in the mix. I wasn't, you know, someone says to you, well, what's your recent experience? You say, well, I've been a business advisor. And they say, well, we want someone to run a European menswear collection. Uh, not really up yeah. on things. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, it's funny yeah. how life moves like that, isn't it? Mm. But you've got to roll with it, right? Yeah. you just got to roll with the punches, I guess. So tell me, Pete, we've talked about fun. Um, how? What is it that you do for relaxation? Is it different to everything else we've talked about or is this something you do? No, no, no. I, I, I love DIY. So um, this weekend, for example, I was re-landscaping the garden. And, oh, really? uh, yeah, pulling up patio stones and putting down new shingle and moving stuff around I like to I built a pergola a few summers ago which I'm renovating like decorating like all that sort of stuff where you get that rush of having done something yeah it's kind of like love doing it and I can't start something without finishing it so I, are you, you know, not a renovator that it goes out for months no no, no it's got to be done it's got to be done it'll be like if, it, if it's a job for a week I'll do it every day um, until it's done and then when I run out of stuff I'll be down at my mum and dad's helping them do something or at my sister's <laughs> so, so I was putting up uh, a blind for my niece at the weekend I'll be uh, doing the garden work for my mum and dad which aren't uh, as mobile as they used to who aren't as mobile as they used to be yeah. but it, it gives me a I, I, that sense of satisfaction when you've done something yes but it yeah, helps me it, chill out as well it's so satisfying when you do something, when you make something for yourself or, you know, some home oh, totally. renovation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Without a doubt. I used to be a horticulturist and uh, my satisfaction was doing the lawn. Oh, yeah. And you sit back and you go, oh, it's done. Did you do it with stripes? No, uh, not, not at home. I oh, Okay. 
I did. I did at the. Uh, I had the proper mower and that at the place I worked to make nice okay. stripes on the front lawn, but not at home. Love that. Okay. No, okay. I wasn't that big on turf, to be honest. <laughs> no, if you saw my garden, it's got like two. It's got a big circle and a small circle that's been sort of bricked in, and uh, put it this way: mowing my lawn probably takes as long as it takes someone to hoover or vacuum their lounge. <laughs> well, that's good. Not a big yeah. effect. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. <laughs> so, Pete, how did all of your, we've really kind of covered this, but I'm going to ask you anyway. So how did all your earlier career choices actually lead you to where you are now? You know, we've talked a bit about those breadcrumbs that have led you to where you are. Is there anything else that would be of interest about how you actually became came to do production? Yeah, I guess um, I like people. You know, I like communicating with people. I get a buzz out of it. Put it this way, on Fridays, I'll line up certain clients who I love talking to and they'll put me on a high for the weekend. Oh, cool. You know? Um, so the, I love creative mind. I, I talk about working with creative-minded businesses. That doesn't mean people who can draw a picture or anything, but who think outside the box a little bit and, you know, like to embrace new things. Uh, and that gives me a real rush. Um, so I, I guess how I've got here and the journey getting here, it's added a bonus thing to me because I've always been in sport in particular. I think this has shaped the way I am. I've been a team player. Yeah. And... How I've got to where I am now is I love, you know, if there's a Zoom call and there's 10 people on the call or I'm giving a workshop that's going out to tens of thousands of people, which I did with the British Library. Yeah. Um, no, I'm exaggerating. Sorry. Thousands of people. Um, <laughs> uh, if, maybe hundreds. No, no thousands. Uh, At least but, you yeah. corrected yourself. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, but I think it's it's the way you are with people combined with living abroad, because then you've, you've got to meet new people. You've, you've yes. got to interact with people in that way. And now, funny enough, more so than when I was in my younger days, going out, partying, clubbing and stuff, I am far more comfortable with people now. And I can, because of being a business advisor or a coach or a mentor, I can strike up a conversation with anyone. Yeah. You know? And that's something that's come from, come from it. So I guess how I got here, it's it's been a journey, but it's all it's all worked out quite nicely. You know, am I happy? I have probably the most happiest I've been because I work for myself now, and I don't have to fill someone else's agenda so much. Yeah. Um, am I comfortable? No, but I, I mean financially comfortable could be a lot better. But I'm happy. It and that's a big a lot, doesn't it? Yeah. Happiness. Oh, yeah, big time. Yeah. And I think after the COVID thing that we've all been through as well, a lot of people have had time to self-reflect and think, you know, reprioritize, um, which is a good thing. Yeah. You know, I think that's one of the biggest positives. I don't like looking at the negatives of all of that. Um, but I think one of the positives is is it's given given us all a chance to reflect on who we are and how we can make things better. Yeah. And, you know, it's sort of a bit of a theme. I'm talking mostly with people who are 
like us who just have our, our business. We work for ourselves. And there's a bit of a theme of self-satisfaction in working for ourselves. Yes, it's a bit hard. Um, yes, we'd all like to be able to rely on the income. Um, yeah. But the satisfaction is there for working for ourselves. It's not a place for the faint-hearted, shall we say? No, no, it's not. But it's immense satisfaction. Definitely, you, you, you're in you're in control, and particularly if you're, I celebrate people who are able to survive. I don't mean smashing it through the park in terms of a massive bank balance or anything like that. But one of the biggest things that I always say to people now and particularly through the COVID period with businesses, a lot of businesses fell by the wayside. People would say, well, you know, I'm still here, but it's been such a tough journey. And I go, whoa, you just said it. You're still here. That is a major achievement in itself. Yeah. And that's what people have record. If you can pay the bills, if you can get by and you're in control of your lifestyle, what else do you need? And you're doing something that you love. I think that's the other common thread. You know, it's finding something. For me, it's the most satisfying work I've ever done and position, like as in upskilling, the amount of things I've had to learn how to do. I would never have been upskilled so so much. You know, I've never had so many challenges. And when you conquer a challenge, oh, Oh, feeling. (laughs) Yeah, oh, it's a buzz, and 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 you know, because we've had several chats before, and and you know how to package things, how to talk about things, you know how to add context to them, and you're very good at that in the way that you talk about, you know, well-being and wellness. Um, again, it, it comes down to how comfortable you are in yourself. Yeah, and when you're working for yourself, you need to engage with yourself. So true. You know? Yeah. And, you know, when it's the thing that you love, like you're working, even though it's not in fashion, you're still working with people who are in fashion. And yeah. the business skills, everything about business, is it, you, it's so ingrained in you what you do oh, yeah. that yeah. it is just it's such an extension of yourself, you know, what you I think it's for me because I don't have any artistic talents really, but mm-hmm. this is my version of art, whatever I create. Yeah. It's my version of art. I said, well, cre- cre- uh, that's why I go back to my thing about creative-minded businesses. Again, yeah. it's not being an artist, a designer as such. It's creating creating something. Yes. You're creating a business. You're creating an, uh, or you're answering the need of people who have a problem that needs fixing. Yes. And that's, that's a massive rush. And if you can help people, I just get a buzz out of there's a client I was talking to the other day and she was saying her hair was coming out. And I said, what? She said, uh, what I've done is I've changed my, uh, I don't use shampoo anymore. And I was going, whoa, 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 have you been to the doctor yet? And she said, no, no, no. I said, no, you need to go and have a chat with your doctor. I don't want to scare you, but you need to get that checked. And uh, I, I gave my meeting report back to her and all her to-dos and everything. And she came back and she just said, thank you so much for recommending that I do this. And it's just, that's the sort of thing, you know, you just give. And for me, I hate seeing someone in a fix. Yes. You know, a problem situation. It's like, well, 
whatever it takes, this is what you got to do. Or if I can help, or if there's anyone I know in my network that can help you, I'll put you on. And then you get people saying, well, how much is that going to be? I say, no, I'm not charging you for that. Yes. And, and they won't be charging you for that because they owe me a favour. So you get in touch with them and boom. It's and a community, isn't it, really? Yeah. 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 yeah, yeah. That's so, what you provide for your clients as well. You're the community. Yeah. 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 Well, on that note, Pete, is, yeah. can you tell people where to find you if they want to know more about your business and, and working with you? Sure. Well, my website, um, which is going to have a revamp sometime this year, is www.productshon, as you see it, oh, there, that's how you spell it, um, .com. So www.productshon.com. You can find me on LinkedIn uh, under my name, Pete Schombeck. Uh, you can find me on Facebook, Instagram, all the usual things. So if you just search, search for Pete Schombeck, um, Luckily, there aren't many of us around <laughs> uh, with that name. Uh, but yeah, you can you can find me there, and you can uh, contact me via p schombeck at productshon.com as well. Cool, um, and, and we'll have. All... Yeah. Sorry, I was going to say right. we'll have all your details up at the end as well. Brilliant. Thank you. Thank you. So thanks for coming on the show again today, Pete. Just such a great pleasure talking with you and sharing all of your journey and everything that you've been through. It's been really great. And thank Thank you you. to our viewers today. It's always so hard to say goodbye. So please leave us a comment below and let us know if you found something valuable in today's conversation or if something that we've talked about today helps you to overcome an obstacle that you're having. And please subscribe to the channel and give us a thumbs up if you thought we were pretty funny because I thought we were pretty funny today. Um, So... With that, it's wonderful that everybody was here. Thanks again, Pete, and we'll say goodbye. My pleasure. Thanks a lot, Katie. Take care. Bye, everyone.